Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert, layman Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we talk about the viability of the intentional walk, the absurdity of Tony La Russa, and banter about a whole bunch of way-too-early all-star nonsense. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? You know, doing pretty well. It, it's been a really weird week in the baseball world and in the real world, but especially <laughs> in the baseball world. And I've been kind of like sitting back and enjoying the chaos of a lot of just nonsense as best I can. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, well, you know, I um, I'm glad that we're going to talk about some of that nonsense because I haven't been paying all that much attention. I uh, I appreciate you covering for me and bringing a guest on uh, last week. I was um, under the weather is maybe a kindness to describe what's been going on for the last week or so. Um, I apologize to anybody if I wind up slipping a few coughs in that I can't edit out and post as we go. So uh, I'm doing much better now. Um. If that actually answers your question, uh, but it's been it's been a rough couple of weeks for various reasons around these parts. Yeah, um, I, I'm not going to get into all of the stuff there. I'm sure for for everyone's <laughs> sake. Uh, but uh, suffice to say, uh, you make uh, you make parenthood uh, sound like uh, a chore that you're really good at doing. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work on your end. Uh, well, I mean, there's the kids, and then there's me when I get sick. Um, you know, it's it's funny. We were, I think we were talking about this not that long ago, right? And and I made the comment that like the baby had a cough and I had a cough and I was more of a baby than the baby. Like that was two <laughs> illnesses ago. <laughs> There's it, wow. that's the one thing when you do when you have kids and work in a school is, uh, I mean, it's all the germs. Any any mm-hmm. germs, all the germs that was sat around during COVID, being like, where is everybody? Uh, they're all back and and raring to go. So. Um, uh, luckily, uh, should I say this out loud? I don't know. Luckily, we avoided it being COVID, but it was—it's uh, been none too fun. And uh, I've, I've got to actually give both my my girls, who are old enough to be able to be real, really awful when they're sick, um, a lot of credit for not being awful. <laughs> uh, they were minimally difficult and justifiably so. They—they they both had uh, had some stuff go down, so. Um, you know, I, parenthood is, is, I will say this, it's the, the absolute best thing that I'll ever do in my life. And it's simultaneously the worst thing to have to deal with sometimes. It's, and I think most parents can, can understand that, uh, but I would never, ever undo it. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a, a sort of honesty that I, I'm, uh, I'm proud to hear, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, all I can re- recall even close to this was the, the great, great fun that was uh, getting the flu for my kids um, the day of my birthday uh, mm. a couple of years ago, which is right around Valentine's Day. Uh, so I like hopped on a plane uh, to like go visit my girlfriend and like the, when I landed, I had the flu. Oh, uh, man. <laughs> and the like, flight there, was the incubation period. <laughs> I, I think so, roughly. Yeah, it was, it was really great. So. Mm. You know, anyone out there, and I'm sure there's many people out there who have had some sort of nonsense experience, like even a fraction of what you've been going through, uh, hopefully can relate and understand. I'm glad to have you back. You sound mostly yes. pretty good. And I'm yeah, hoping I think we're that's doing a good okay. Time. We're doing okay. We got a uh, good thing pharmaceuticals exist. I, I, I have a very strong feeling that if I had been born 200 years ago, I probably would not have survived childhood. Uh, so thank goodness for modern medicine. 
Um, anyway, I'm not, I'm not sure people want to hear much more about all of that. So, uh, but any, at least you understand if, if at some point I get a little choked up, um, it, it could be that I'm being emotional about something, or it could just be that my throat has decided to remind me that I'm not 100% yet. Um, <laughs> fair enough. We, uh, yeah, it's going to have to be, even if it's unfair. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of this nonsense you referenced that happened uh, while uh, while I was not really paying attention because this is actually something I did notice uh, because I really couldn't miss it. And uh, I'll just preface it by saying it's about intentional walks and then let you kind of take it away and and I'll just kind of jump in with the bits that I knew. Yeah, we've been going through like a last month or so where the Phillies fired their manager and then immediately went on a hot streak. The Angels lost 14 in a row and fired Joe Madden before he could show off his new mohawk to his players. Yep, I, and I somehow, saw that <laughs> neither of those storylines are the stupidest thing that has happened uh, while you were gone. Um, I don't think it's like novel or like groundbreaking to say that Tony LaRusa makes some bad decisions. I felt like this very recent ish we probably could have talked about it last week i can't remember the exact day but i really wanted to save some of this for you i I didn't have some time to go through it mathematically ish uh was a great opportunity to kind of like dive into some of the really neat tools that actually do exist out there to like show this guy's not making good decisions but also kind Mm -hmm. of like talk about how you could make a good analysis of whether or not someone did a, a smart thing or not um it's not like we're lacking the tools to evaluate when you should or shouldn't intentionally walk someone uh, with one out and a runner on second, hypothetically. We're going to leave some of the dressing uh, aside for a second. I'm not going to think about how good Trey <laughs> Turner is. I'm not going to think about how good Max Muncy is. Uh, we're going to just leave some stuff um, out to get ourselves started. Because I thought this was a really fun problem before you kind of like let everything kind of go. So I want to ask you kind of like as a hypothetical baseball manager first. Okay. It's one out. You've got a runner on second base and it's like not the ninth inning. Are you inclined to intentionally walk anyone? One out, runner on second. What's the run differential? I let's just call it a close game of any sort. I don't know. Maybe let's let's give you like a one run lead or something like that. The sort of thing where like you don't you're not already behind. But like you're not like way ahead either. I think like one or two run lead really captures that best. Okay, so here's I'm going to give you two answers. One is I believe there are scenarios that when you put context into play, um, it might make sense. I also am going to say that I believe the math is going to say that on the whole, when you remove context and just look at nine thousand uh, samples. Um, and, and how things play out in, in the, uh, the macro that it, it mathematically says is not a good idea. Yeah. I, I feel like we can kind of like here are say like, here are the, the reasons you would want to do this. Uh, I, I went through a bunch of these scenarios early in 2020 when there was like the first introduction of like the ghost runner and, and we got a lot of those runner on second close game but it was sudden death essentially so you saw teams getting funky you saw intentional walks you saw staggered intentional walks is one of my favorite things where uh, they would go after the first guy 
and then intentionally walk the second batter if they got that first out because they're trying to go after the ground out and get a double play get out of there uh so really really fun managerial tactic stuff uh this lack of sudden death if we're like in the fifth sixth or so setting like stripped away doesn't like give us any of that cover right because like if the batter scores like that affects the game in a lot of those situations if the batter scores the guy you walk scores doesn't mean anything and that complicates things so what I, I pulled a bunch of the data from like run inspectancies uh from past years it's not all perfect I, one of the better charts i saw and i probably think back should have pulled like 2016 or 2017 but i pulled 2019 data when like runs were up like knock a point or two off of this and we're probably 2022 baseball uh but like it all kind of basically flows well enough that we can follow along um so a run expectancy matrix is something we've talked about before basically you get the people who are on base right yeah yeah yeah, definitely for bunting uh and this is way easier to talk about than bunting actually because uh (laughs) bunting is like way less likely to happen than those those scenarios make it play out like this is easier somehow than bunting um so yeah the basic idea there is uh you can use them like as they're displayed to figure out like the average number of runs that would be scored by a team in this certain situation so we're going to ignore this as the dodgers and like the heart of the dodgers order (laughs) they're probably going to score some (laughs) more runs than the average team we don't need to play with that just yet um so on average in 2019 one out uh no runners on so base is empty you were expected to score 0.3 runs you put a runner on second then and that jumps up to 0.71 runs so that means uh we can actually like the way these things work can pull that out the runner on second with one out is expected to score 41 percent of the time uh, that's some really nice, straightforward, they're making it easy for us, kind of like math that you can pull out from any of these if you get a different year and you want to try it out a different scenario. Uh, basically, just take the difference between uh, bases empty and whoever you got on for just first, just for second, just third, and you can figure out how often they score. Um, if you add a runner on first, then that runner on first scores 27% of the time. So the basic idea there is you intentionally walk the runner on to get and put them on first. If you believe that that particular batter is um, going to make the runner score like 27% of the time more often than like the average batter, Uh, which is they're more likely to drive that guy in than just the law of averages says would happen with a coin flip, right? So yeah, let me, yeah. can I ask you this question? Does the run expectancy for the runner on second change at all with a runner on first and one um, out? So I think what you're getting at there is, oh, there's a possibility we could ground into a double play, right? Or something like that, right? Or basically the way that these things work is they uh, say, eh, it probably doesn't. We've played with some stuff no and so they just actually run in like a linear here's often the guy how often the guy in first here's how often the guy in second here's often the guy on third scores i'm sure that if you really wanted to like split some hairs there is some small change i don't think it's meaningful enough though that it it should change our decision making fair enough yeah yeah, yeah. i just thought that it's interesting to me to think about whether or not it would actually bring down even if it is splitting hairs um the the expectancy of that runner on second to score 
Because I, we're also then there's there's a difference too between that runner on second scoring and that runner on first scoring, and how many runs can be expected to score in total in that inning, right? Right, and that's actually why we pull it apart in the way I was saying. Um, the the math is really easy in that, like, for example, one out runners on first and second were expecting point nine eight runs scored. That is. 0.41 runs from the guy on second, 0.27 runs from the guy on first, and 0.3 from all of the other batters who are currently at the plate or on deck or whatever else. Okay. And they just add those up. They do not multiply anything. There's no like adjustments because of like other context. They keep it as simple as possible or how all these models work. So it doesn't we, take we into need. account the skill level of the different players, the speed nope. of the runner on second, nope. any of those things. Absolutely not. They are all kind of handled in these things as separate because like in the macro level, like how could you possibly try to model that for everyone if you're trying to do a general yeah, yeah, you can't. decision you're looking at matrix? 10,000 right? samples, that stuff evens itself out with, with the slow runner versus the fast runner and, and all of that. I get that. But and that's I, why I think those contextual yep. situations do that that context matters in a in a specific instance which is what yes. we're getting to yes yes and i'm sure for you actually any smart team has a a guy or a book or whatever that can adjust those things on the fly for each different batter and that's how they make actual smart decisions based off of handedness and stuff like that like if i was running an even halfway competent team with someone who only had my skills and not people who are doing this professionally all the time i would still try to do some of that stuff mm -hmm. um, I, I i guarantee you the dodgers for example have all of that as obviously laid out as possible <laughs> so yeah, i mean it makes sense that you would have like that the general ten thousand sample size algorithm and then you plug in this guy's uh you know uh, batting average hitting it this way or pitching him that way or whatever and it just kind of skews the algorithm a little bit. It doesn't seem like it's a huge leap for the people who know this stuff and are so good at it. Right. I think it also makes for a good conversation to start with this stuff without all of the extra bells and whistles, because if you're going to get to the point where that stuff would change it, it's fun to take it as like a starting place and like, okay, how far outside the norm do they have to be for the decisions not to be just the average decision? Um, and that's what I wanted to get out here because I thought it was really fun. Um, so situation number one, like, let's, let's just kind of like, here is a situation where you would, as Tony Larissa, intentionally walk, uh, Trey Turner before the plate appearance starts. Um, situation number one I laid out was like, I think the easiest one for my mind to wrap around. You think that he and Max Muncie are equally likely to hit a home run or a triple or a double or get walked. The only thing that will change in this hypothetical situation is their chance, uh, to to hit a single um uh, let's even like uh yeah let's um let's also hold like strikeouts uh like even their chance of hitting a single versus uh you know not are the only thing we're gonna change the difference then would have to be that uh trey turner would hit a single 27 out of 100 times more often uh, that's like 300 points of batting average difference is basically what that would have to happen. <laughs> you would have to assume that like in this situation, uh, he's like a 450 hitter and Max Muncy is on average a 150 hitter. Like that's where you'd have to be. Um, does that sound reasonable? No, no, it does not. Uh, so that would be, let me just clarify to make sure that I'm understanding. That would be bases are empty and you're deciding to walk Trey Turner to start the inning. Oh no, this is the, this is the situation they were actually in where okay. he is at bat with the runner on second. Would you walk him? 
you would have to think that he would hit a single that would score that runner from second 27% more often than okay Muncie so would. it doesn't really matter who's up at the plate it's it's the, that they would have to be such yeah. a prolific hitter <laughs> yeah, that, I, I'm, yeah i'm using the names okay. from real life but you can you can take that and be like okay so mike trout's gonna, coming up and behind him is the backup catcher who's also injured because they've like pinched it and are out of other options like maybe then you do walk mike, mike trout to bring up you know um whoever the backup catcher for the angels is at this particular moment i'm not looking that one up to save you from <laughs> editing out some clicks um so like that's like a representation of how far outside the norm though things would have to be all else equal in like a normal competitive middle of the game scenario and well you know how things kind of went to an extent other ways you could think of this in a model that's using some different data uh one of them is just to use like the differences in woba um we actually can like not just run expectancy we can find the average like batters woba by count and see how that changes just like we can also like see how like the like we can uh, how do I put this we can also just like compare like you're um, you're walking the guy right um the a walk is worth about like a 650 woba right so if you're just w- looking that way like the batter would have to be like that good of a batter on average for you to be like equally okay with it um and sure maybe um you're playing in like little league and also there's like a like an 18 year old kid who's like faked his birth certificate and is like playing who has a 650 boba but that's about the level at which you'd have to be willing to walk the guy automatically in that situation it's it's ridiculous uh yeah the other situation we already kind of talked about like the walk-off win stuff um i'm going through all of these before we get to the actual context of count which i accidentally kind of gave away because it's even stupider um (laughs) uh do you want to guess roughly speaking what uh the average woba of a hitter in a one two count is oh it's got to be around a hundred or less right it's it's it's, much it's better than that actually is it okay yeah it's uh it's 230 or so which is about as good as um, obviously definitely higher than i thought yeah yeah yeah. a one two count usually does not result in uh a, a good outcome (laughs) <laughs> no yeah yeah again so a walk is 600 a hard hit batted ball is around 600 a softly hit batted ball is usually around the 200 to 300 range and a strikeout to zero right um right we're leaving out the home runs and stuff like that i just like to say like those are like the ones that i know off the top of my head because i play with those that sort of stuff often but yeah martin maldonado by the way uh has a woba this year that is about the same as the average one two hitter he is the fifth worst qualified hitter in baseball so on average if you can get to a one two count you are essentially facing martin maldonado in terms of outcomes and um just ask astros fans about how much they want him to be batting as often he as he is uh (laughs) that's not a place that you typically would be scared as a manager um in my mind, the only way you can really get there and be like, all right, we got to walk them is if in the middle of the plate appearance, you know, in this case, they bounce the third pitch. Well, runner takes off from first and gets to second. Maybe you'd consider walking someone because now that's changed the game pretty considerably. If you can get even just the the odds a little bit more in your favor because of a force out, that's all the difference. Um, I actually have this to act as a spoiler, so you couldn't look at it. Do you uh, do you want to guess what the uh, the percentage of uh, plate appearances that turned into a 
like a ground into double play from uh, runners on uh, first and second uh, one out. So just all of those scenarios, all of them from like the past, like I pulled it for every single season for like the past 15 years. Well, I'm going to guess that it is lower than I'm going than I would feel because otherwise it doesn't make sense for this to be like a, a surprise. The, so you're saying the percent that turn into double plays grounded yeah. into though, right? Not like yes, line out. Yeah, no okay. line out tag up stuff. Uh, just GIDPs. Uh, the percentage um, of those that result from runners on first and second. I'm going to say 12%. You're like bang on. It was about 12% mm. 10 years ago, and it's come down to about nine. So if you like take it all over all of the years with strikeout rates affecting things, yeah, we're somewhere in the somewhere. Yeah, I got in the one. 10, now I'll, I'll tell you how I got there because I was thinking 18 to 20 and I was like, take five to six off of that. That's probably <laughs> <laughs> that's probably going to land me in the safe zone. So, yeah. OK, yeah, so yeah. I mean, again, if you're if you're playing for that now, I I do wonder, though. What is, is, I don't know if this is something you can just pull up. You probably don't have it. And I don't want to put you on the spot too bad, but does that number change with two strikes? Ooh, I don't know how easily I'd be able to pull that up, but like, um, let's say it, even if it increases at 5%, right? You're still talking about well, less than a 20% the, outcome. Okay. Okay. So here's the thing though, is you couldn't get that double play because there was only the runner on second base. So in in this particular case, no, no, I just examining... mean right. If you wa- if you do walk somebody though, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, we're talking about the one two count where first base is open. So yeah, I'm confusing confusing terms a little bit, but I do wonder if the this is just me going off on a completely different tangent in my head. Mm-hmm. That's what that was. Sorry for the confusion, everybody. No, but that's um, a, that's a good question. I imagine whether or not yeah, grounding into a double play the the out the likelihood of that. Like, I guess the question then is, if you have more strikes, are you more likely to hit a ground ball or maybe make soft contact is a better way to think about it. But that's a different question for a different day, everybody. We'll look at that another time. Oh, I've been thinking about that concept a little bit because, um, you know, I, I've been looking at a lot about like how what count you're in affects things. And it kind of occurred to me it's like, oh, maybe pitchers who are, you know, good at inducing soft contact might be getting some of that just by getting ahead in the count more often and getting the batters to change for them rather than just throwing stuff that's harder to hit. And like, that's a hypothesis I plan to explore. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. And like, I have, have like a particular new project in that form that I'm just like, I don't know the answer at all. Let's go find out. It does uh, presuppose that batters are taking a different ap- approach with two strikes, which not they all are. of them are. I do anymore. know that I have, I have pulled the data for that and the swing rates and uh, I, I would assume, like, also, I, I I think I've pulled hard hit rate, which would make sense here, because if they hit the ball, are they hitting it less hard is kind of like yeah. the question. I and think I that, think yeah, that's a better down. question. Yeah. Um, anyway, I totally sidetracked our conversation there. We're, we're, we're Let's get back to talking about how absolutely ridiculous it is to walk somebody with a runner on second uh, who already has accumulated a one two count. Um, I don't think this is a long conversation, but I'm glad you just really restated it for how, how absolutely preposterous this is. Um, I don't think that there is a single thing that Joe Madden did in theory that probably uh, hurt his team more than than 
than this. Um, in fact, I would I would presuppose that him getting that uh, that mohawk that again we never got to see a true travesty is uh, probably <laughs> good enough to make up for most of those things. Now, whether or not Madden or you know plenty of other people have maybe deserved some firings from some bad decisions is up to like a very very larger sample a much larger sample of things than we're going to kind of get at here today in this but like i thought this was a nice window into we've got tools these tools are fun um and if you're running a competent ball club you'd be using them to run your baseball team because i mean for all of the people who might just say you know the game comes down to hits and rbi and those kids are ruining the game or whatever like and I'm sorry, like we can show otherwise that smart teams do smart things. And, you know, back before they had invented Woba, I guarantee you people weren't doing what uh, TLR did. So um, yeah, I thought that yeah, yeah, right, right, the right. long, hey, long winded thing. But one name uh, and, and maybe you can help me here. Who is it that wound up walking? No, oh, yeah, it was Trey Turner who was at the plate who got walked for max oh, i thought I, trey turner was the runner on second this is part of my no, confusion no it's not yeah okay um, i think freeman was the one on second but i can okay. look that up all right no um, it doesn't matter you don't have to look that up the, again i i have to apologize to everybody this is still my leftover foggy brain from barely being functional for a, a little bit um that okay so this all makes more sense so they had trey turner one two and walked him to get to Max. Now, listen, Max Muncy's not having an amazing year, but my goodness, when you already have, it doesn't matter who you have one to, the likelihood that they're doing something meaningful with the rest of that at bat versus putting them on base is silly. I mean, I, it's, I, you and I sometimes talk about these things, right? And And you give me all these numbers and it's hard to argue with that math. It really is. I feel like there are, have to be more scenarios where, just generically speaking, one out, runner on second. I'm going to walk this guy because he's got insane numbers against this pitcher. And I, he's that this, the relief, I just put the reliever in. I have to leave, whatever. I mean, hopefully you strategize mm-hmm. around that better as a manager. I get that. But I feel like there's got to be more scenarios than the math sort of says, like there has to be this enormous discrepancy to make it worthwhile. Right, um, right. But, but like, there's no splitting hairs on yeah, this guy's yeah. already down one, two. Like, uh, it doesn't make any sense. You, so the logic there has to be that you think with two strikes, Trey Turner is still 400 points more likely to get a hit than Max Muncie. I, right? Like, like I'm, the I'm, actual thing that Tony has said after the game is that, like, they had seen his numbers in one two counts and he was really good in those which like again let's not give credit where credit isn't due that's not a thing <laughs> um people don't suddenly become omega berry bonds as soon as they get to a one two count in particular um i don't know maybe trey turner does that'd be really fun as like a superpower that we just haven't noticed um but uh, he yeah. might shorten his swing and and have really elite contact skills that he kind of is willing to forfeit for some extra power. Who knows? But still, I just I, it seems silly that like, oh, oh, nope, we're going to throw it to, to Trey Turner. OK, and now it's whatever, like like one. Oh, oh, we're still going to throw one, 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 two. Oh, <laughs> caution, caution, everybody. Right. Abort, abort. Walk him. It just it flies in the face of like the math 
and conventional wisdom. So I don't know where the soft landing place is there, I guess, in that yeah, logic is what I'm getting at. A thing I like to say in circumstances like this is if someone could do that all the time, they would. And right. uh, you can't assume that the impossible to pull off rare feat that is really nice, like the hitting the ball over the second baseman's head that Trey Turner hopes you can do in a one two count is a repeatable skill. So, um, yeah, I mean, that all makes it makes hire sense. me to well, run the White Sox or something. That's a lot of conversation to boil it down to something that we all knew, and that's Tony La Russa is terrible. Um, I would like to move our discussion on to some all-star conversation. Did I say conversation too many times there? It's okay. Sorry, everybody. Um, But before we have an opportunity to talk all-star stuff, we are going to have to take a very small break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show And we are back. So, Alexander, set the stage here for this conversation. What is the premise for us talking about uh, the the could-be all-stars as the ballot has recently released? Is that correct? Yeah. um, Last Tuesday, the ballot came out, which is, you know, it's like you can vote for everybody. It's not like that itself is like us getting some new information. We get some nice little nuggets like which positions certain guys are kind of like automatically listed at. For example, if Mm. you want to vote for an Orioles catcher, the default option they give to you is not Adley Rutschman. Um, They give you, let me pull this up. I have it in front of me. Um, uh, Robinson Trinos, uh, who is uh, 509 OPS right now. Um, really fun. Uh, but you can change that if you want. So like, you can write in, you can do whatever you want. You can do an all Tucker Barnhart ballot, uh, whatever you want. Uh, that's a new, right? I mean, that's a change I, that they've opened this up as that widely. Were, it used to be very funneled choices, right? I don't know. I, I, I don't remember can. back to the day, like you had to go to the ballpark and like punch holes in paper. So... It's definitely different now than it was for me when I was a kid. Do they have hanging Chad problems for all-star voting? What's that? I hope not. Hanging Chads? I don't know. You'd have to you'd have to contact the league office. I don't think that one made it to the Supreme Court. Um, yeah. So I brought this up, though, because it is kind of like a nice marker. We're about 60 games in. It's easy to start writing stuff off early on. Be like, okay, a guy's been hot, but he'll come back to Earth. And then suddenly, I think this is a nice turning point. It's like... I have to sit down and see my ballot and staring me in the face or exactly how successful everyone's been. And my mind flips in this weird way about this time of year. And I, I thought there was a nice sort of like, if I'm the only, am I the only one doing this? Or if everyone else is doing this, how can we game that kind of occurred to me? Mm-hmm. The reason this matters for like fantasy players then is like, 
if you're trying to potentially buy low on a guy, your windows are definitely closing as public recognition, especially for some players who have not been all-stars, who don't have like entrenched success in their background. You know, like those guys make their way onto the ballot. And here in a couple of weeks, we're probably going to start seeing where the votes are at. And I thought this made for, made for like a great window for where are those buy low opportunities that are about to stop being available uh, to come in. Before we get there, though, I wanted to take a quick look back to last year to see how that turned out. Um, <laughs> I don't think we have like a true number of the week segment here because I don't know that there is a great number. Um, but um, I did pull. It's there the were only- spirit in the spirit of numbers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something that we don't have often enough here, clearly. Uh, Oh, five of last year's all-star starters are currently top three in their position in F4. Do you want to try to guess? I'm going to give you five guesses to get as many guys as you can. Um, yeah, so I, I have a feeling I can name that tune in five guesses. I am cheating a little bit and looking at last year's starting lineups uh, because I had oh, no totally idea. Oh, that's totally fine. Yeah, that's yeah, totally fine. But I, I think I can do this. I'm going to go down and start with... Um, the American League, and I'm going to say Aaron Judge. That is the that is the free space, yes. So there's one. Uh, the next one I would say in the American League is Rafael Devers. Uh, that's two. Uh, and the third from the American League, I'm going to go with Shohei Otani. He is not. Uh, He's I, not. I, oh, I lose. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's. I, I'm going to guess two more names, and then you can tell me uh, where I was right and where I was wrong. The last two names I would have guessed would be Nolan Arenado and uh, Freddie Freeman. Uh, check, check. You're missing Xander Bogarts. Oh, I should. That's not one I should have missed. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised though that it's Xander and not Shohei. But uh, I suppose in this case, Shohei's only. Is it, is it, are we only counting his offensive contribution? Probably, so, right? I would say for this so case, if you want to yeah, do it for sense. DH, you would want to do that. If you, you, he's not top 10 as like a pitcher either. So, like, he's having a totally fine season in terms of his net contribution. Um, I've just done it by position by position. He doesn't quite qualify. So, yeah, I was like, going to say, this is one of those scenarios where his combined contribution is kind of, uh, disaggregated and doesn't look as shiny in either single category, right? That makes sense. Right, right. I should have guessed Bogarts. He but. also kind of like started off a bit cold as a batter and he can't, you know, be superhuman as a pitcher at the same time. It's hard. Uh, he's been good. Um, he's also got the name too. I've, I, yeah, um, I, I'm sure he'll be back at the All-Star game. I'm not that worried about that. Yeah, uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> um, the point of this exercise, though, is I, I kind of wanted to take a look at just how hard it is to sustain that top end, what your name ID gets you for the moment, sort of like expectation. Um, sure. There are a good number of players who doubt this time last year. We would have expected to continue right on. Some of them have gotten hurt. Like, that's part of it. I, I have no doubt at all uh, that Ronald Acuna Jr. would be towards the top. Uh, right, if or you Tatis. Were up there, right? right. Tatis would still be there. You know, those are both guys who are off the list. Uh, Soto was not an all-star starter last year, actually. Um, this this really gets us into the funny thing. The three National League outfield starters last year, you have them in front of you right now. Um, <laughs> do you know how many, uh, how many war they have combined for this year? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Should I name them? Name them for us, and then here? I'll have you guess. Okay, so it's we're talking about Nick Castellanos, Jesse mm-hmm. Winker, and Brian Reynolds. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Ryan Reynolds, who has been a little bit better as of late. Uh, combined war, I'm going to say 1.3. Ooh, uh, it's, it's a bit less than that. Castellanos and Winker are both negative. A total of uh, <laughs> negative 0.3 and Reynolds at 0.8 uh, gives him a total of 0.5 wins above average between all three of last year's All-Star starters for yeah. the National League. Uh, I do believe that uh, the American League's doing a little bit better. Uh, and I thought that that was a really good window into like what we should look at for the guys who are potentially going to be seeing their name towards the top of like the vote getting um this year, especially the guys on the younger side of things. So have you had an opportunity to like fill out an all-star ballot then? I imagine you haven't. I have not. No. All right. So I, I have. Um, and as of right now, I definitely have some people I, who I've like moved in and out of some spots. I'm not sure who I would vote for if I only had one vote. You don't only have one vote. You can vote five times every day um, through June 30th, which is a lot of fun if you like to vote. Um, vote early, early <laughs> and vote often, as they say. Um, yeah, so I, I, there are a couple of guys who have been kind of like either on my mind a lot or, um, you know, like absolute locks. So I don't think have always been this good for either because they've barely been in the league or whatever that may be that I think we may have a waning window to uh, get in on. And the first guy I want to talk about there is, uh, Alejandro Kirk. Um, I have been really happy to see how well he has been playing, even if he hasn't been like producing a billion uh, home runs or anything like that. Um, but as of right now, he has a 313 average, which is good. Uh, he has an 854 OPS, which is good. And he's been really good defensively, which doesn't matter for fantasy, but does matter for your getting, you know, getting your all-star starter spot, which affects your fantasy value and also your playing time. Um, so yeah, I think he continues to say. catch enough. So, um, so yeah, he's an interesting sort of player that I want to start with. Like why we would or wouldn't actually buy into that. Now, I want to ask you, do you like regularly think about who's your catcher on your fantasy teams? Well, um, that depends upon the league. And I, uh, I don't want to stir up a bunch of controversy talking about how I treat catcher in some leagues. Um, Go for it. That's definitely uh, the whole point. here. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, in, in some home leagues, I will either draft a catcher who I think is above, um, what matters in the league context. So like in a 12 team league, like, I don't know, maybe a top four catcher. Yeah. Because once you have like the sixth or seventh catcher, like, is that a net gain? I don't know. So, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. like I'll roster somebody who is, is tremendous value added at that position. If not, I, I rock a team that carries no catcher because there's no penalty in those leagues for not rostering a full lineup. Now, I would tell you that's bad, but I'm not going to do that right now because that's not the point. Um, <laughs> don't do that, y'all. Uh, I will say there are points leagues where that makes sense. Uh, I'm going to set that aside. There, in most cases, uh, a blank lineup spot hurts you a bit. Though I like, I definitely have dropped catchers in dynasty leagues and rocked without them and things like that. Uh, short just, benches, yeah. I'm gonna say short benches. Uh, it may, I'm sh- listen. You've shown me how the math works on a lot of these things, and my instincts are wrong because of of all that. But um, being able to make daily lineup adjustments by having an extra offensive player that's going to contribute positively versus a catcher who's going to hit 
you know, play only play oh, a handful yeah, of times yeah. a week and hit you know, kill your average and not really produce many counting stats. I would be interested in an actual case study on that, on like a daily mm. situation with like four bench spots. So anyway, yeah. I would think then you, you would have to get back four additional starts for like the four catcher starts you would lose. And at that point you probably are out ahead, but it's hard to do. And you know, you can probably try to stream a catcher every day and there's a whole lineup spot. Uh, that sucks. I don't want to do that. Let's talk about Alejandro Kirk, though, who is just absolutely <laughs> not a human being. Um, so I want to start with one of my favorite uh, types of stats. Uh, right now, he has a 10.1% strikeout rate and 11.7% walk rate. That is on the season. Uh, I can pull these exactly because it's way funnier when you say it that way. In 188 plate appearances, he has struck out 19 times and walked 22 times. Um, that's good. Um, that's kind of the backbone of why I think that Kirk is a sort of player that right now, while we still have the your league mates probably aren't paying that much attention, make sure you're getting him as, a, as quick as you can, like eyes on him. That's a lot of plate appearances for a catcher, by the way. Uh, like he's he's getting opportunities because he's DHing when he's not catching. Like yeah. it is a combination of lots of playing time, helping you a lot and sustainability within all of that if you pull up his like pl player page his strikeout rate is seventh among qualifiers his hard contact rate is 35th his walk rate is 57th that's like the top couple percent for a couple of those and then still like top 20 percent like across the board and when those things like work in tandem with each other you end up with the 14th best obp in the league at 394 so he's an asset in those leagues a 313 batting average 17th in the league among qualifiers like and that is a huge, huge improvement on whoever's like your your likely uh like other options at catching. Like I'm mm-hmm. a guy who like rosters uh Real Muto in like every single league. So I'll be honest, it doesn't help me as much as it could. Or like I have Sal Perez in a dynasty league and I have like uh Francisco Alvarez who's gonna replace him soon enough. Like I love good catchers. If you're not a guy who already has a good catcher, I sort of suspect that Kirk is someone who, you know, like throw out a, a spec closer and something, some other piece where people like, you know, froth at the mouth to roster good players. And you could probably snag him for much less than he is contributing you to in a lot of these leagues, especially in weekly formats. So I thought that this was like the how can I build a segment around telling people that they should be trading for Alejandro Kirk is like maybe a little bit of the thought here, but um, just everything that he is doing he has been doing for a while and it's just like absolutely the top of what you know you can probably get your hands on for cheap relatively speaking so really excited for what he's going to continue to do uh it's also just fun that he's like shorter than me and definitely uh (laughs) (laughs) definitely it's not hurting him so Uh, that's really fun um i don't know there are two things there in what you're talking about that in redraft doesn't matter like in seasonal for this year but that would concern me maybe for the long term. And that mm-hmm. is somebody getting that many at bats who's also catching a ton of games. That's got to be more wear and tear than it is on somebody not playing catcher, getting that many at bats. And uh, guys who are less than, I think, five, nine. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's only a handful that actually have um, like meaningful and long contributions to baseball. There's not that many of them. I, it was actually something I looked into writing right when I got into pitcher list and kind of dropped the ball on it. But 
I asked uh, to pull, pull some data on like, hey, major leaguers who are taller than or who are like 5'10 and taller and major leaguers who are like 5'9 and shorter over the last 20 years or whatever. And there almost wasn't enough of a sample size of the small guys. So right, um, right. I, I not that that means don't don't roster him or that like he has no value. It's just two things that would certainly I would want to be on the lookout for any sudden drop offs. Um, you know, I you look at a guy like Pedroia, who was amazing until he wasn't. And then injury mm-hmm. after injury. Um, Altuve seems to have had a resurgence, but he was following a similar path. I, until... I'm concerned about him still. And he's actually someone I do want to talk about here in a moment yeah. so i don't know I'd, i i i i'd feel bad like picking on the small guys but um the, it's it's a game that just demands so much and there's so many enormous people playing baseball that um you know losing just a touch of bat speed or ability to reach or, or whatever can make a big difference i always I remember watching uh Pedroia swing the bat and thinking he swings out of his shoes every single time and it works for him and it's amazing, but it's going to work until the moment it doesn't. And it was almost like almost that quick. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I think I want to make sure I nitpick back about is that um, Kirk is getting a lot of play at DH. And that's like the one thing that makes this all uh, possible. I I was talking to um, a good friend of mine who is uh, in a format where he could try to go into his like auction setup and pick up both Kirk and Danny Jansen. It was, I was like, you either need to get a good guy or you need to get both of them if you can. And he ended up, you know, swinging both of them. And and the idea was like, um, if you get just them like platooning and you move them in and not day by day, that's nice in the chance that you know like one of them ends up DHing and you get more than that then you can even like play matchups and like you probably have in net like the best catcher in the league in terms of total production i don't know that that's like fully fully borne out but like it can't be that far off of what uh, wilson Contreras is doing for your team and like he's like almost not worth discussing today in this sort of thing because like people know he's good he's playing really well uh his stock can continue to go up if he gets traded which would be really cool um so i think that kirk makes for like a a really interesting sample of what do we do wrong in terms of how we see players and also like what can we do right so you're right about the the short stuff though Uh, i am definitely here for the short kings in baseball and uh, long may they live um so that's that's a really good catch uh, i will say (laughs) no pun intended um, who's your, uh, your next player here. That's kind of, uh, I, we're not going to have time obviously to hit every position, but these concepts kind of hold true. Uh, who's the next guy on your list that you think kind of, uh, is, is worth talking about in this way? Yeah. Uh, Ty France is uh, someone who like I've had to come around on and, you know, in the same way that his NL counterpart is not someone that we're not going to be able to like think about anyway. Like Paul Goldschmidt, I think has a pretty strong hold on first place right now don't tell the Mets fans that uh I think Ty France is running away though with the AL first base spot he's not a big name he's been playing extremely well and it merits some discussion as to whether this is a sustainable sort of thing uh whether it's worth trying to buy a low you can or if it's sort of an unsustainable thing 
And you should really hope he keeps this up until his name shows up at the top of the ballot and you sell him in two weeks. Um, I have some friends who are uh, Mariners fans who will hunt me down and kill me um, if I say too many mean things here about Ty France. Uh, I really love that about Mariners fans. Um, <laughs> saying as nice as I can. Uh, I, I think Ty France is doing some really fun stuff also. Uh, and I want to make sure we can kind of dig into this. He has 41 RBI right now. I don't know that I can believe in that holding up. And that's kind of where we're going to start all this. Um, some of his fantasy contributions have been, to, I think, a bit above um, what you can expect them to be long term. And I don't know that people have necessarily been assuming he's going to keep that up. And that's kind of like the whole concept here is like, if some of these above their head guys get some more shine and suddenly there's some more eyes on them, you have a better opportunity to cash in potentially. It's kind of like the flip side here. I don't think his like profile is that unsustainable in the, is he going to stop being like a good hitter sort of way? He's always been a guy who like walks a fair bit, doesn't strike out that much and like consistently hits the ball hard. You know, like the guys that I really like because I can feel yeah. good. That they're not just going to like turn into a pumpkin at the end of the day. Uh, that's actually what makes my like Joey Gallo love all the more interesting and, you know, funny in the long term is that he's not that guy. <laughs> um yeah but you gotta love who you love and you don't really get to choose that so yeah france is like batting 324 right now uh 322 depending on how when i win and where i click i'm sure that changes day by day and my notes are only wrong because it's wednesday uh yeah so another high batting average guy there's another trend so that's a 12th among qualifiers he's hitting the ball hard pretty often but like not 322 batting average often is kind of like the thing he's got like a 30 percent hard contact rate that's like 75th among qualifiers that's not great he's got a great expected average in part um because it just kind of like he sprays the ball pretty well he doesn't like hit into the shift in, in the same way he's right-handed you know and and i think he's been just in that like hitting enough line drives and appropriate fly balls that he's not getting wrecked but there's some parts of it i'm not fully buying into right so he's got like a 24 percent fly ball rate that's been going down uh this year so his ground ball rate's been going up generally ground balls are worse for you um he's rocking a 348 babbit right now like that doesn't like speak to me in the same way so yeah he's been great but i don't think the mariners have been good enough that the confluence of like factors that have gotten him on base a lot and him just like racking up counting stats are necessarily gonna hold up so he is someone that I would be looking for an opportunity to maybe pivot off of if you can find some disaffected person to make the wrong decision there. Um, <laughs> that's really all it comes down to. Don't I, hold I don't, back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I like I like seeing him and the Mariners succeed. Um, we noted that Jesse Winker is one of the all-stars from last year who has been a negative to his team so far, and I would love for that to stop being a thing. Yeah, I, me you too. Know, like, someone's got to take over in the AL West and it doesn't seem like the angels uh, want to take over the Astros anytime soon based off of their own actions. So I would love the Mariners <laughs> to, uh, to do that instead if they can. Yeah. I, I think that it's, if you were to go into this season and say, there's going to be a, uh, a Mariners hitter who is super impressive and has 41 uh, RBI uh, it in the middle of June. Um, who is it? You probably get a lot of people saying, well, it's Jesse Winker, right? I, I would, uh, I, I kind of agree. Or, or maybe, you know, you get like some predictions about 
um you know like some of the the, the kids second stepping up i'm sure there's Julio rodriguez a, yeah maybe or, or a kelnick um yeah is going to like light the world on fire prediction um i don't think you would have said it's ty france and i certainly don't think if you'd said hey there's going to be somebody in the the seattle outfield who has a negative um impact on their team <laughs> that anybody would have picked uh, winker out they probably would have all said kelnick um Winker's it's, defense it's, is part of that, I'm sure. Also. Sure. I, but my point being, it's just it, we spend so much time convincing ourselves we're right about all these things. And then games get played and things just don't happen. Um, there's an angle here I want to try and take with the last nine minutes. And, and so I'm going to use what I just said as a way to pivot. Um, for example, uh, I don't. did anybody anticipate the New York Yankees being this good and their pitching staff being this this amazing? Um, it depends on what part of their friend base you want to take seriously. Um, I'm going okay. to say oh, I'm, I'm no, talking about like but... <laughs> serious experts, right? Prognosticating. Uh, if yeah, there's there's Yankee fans who think that the Yankees are the best team in the league every year, but um, they're genuinely very good. Much to my surprise, that you know what they feel a lot like to me. They feel a lot like the Red Sox last year where hmm. they're just making it work. They're they're a better team, I think, this year than the Red Sox were last year, quite honestly, even though the Red Sox no, made the playoffs. I, and I agree with you. Um, <laughs> it's, Sorry. Um, I mean, there's a lot of season left to play, right? And the mm-hmm. Sox came close to making it to the World Series, so there's that element. Um, but I don't think anybody expected their pitching to be good. Um, the Red Sox pitching last year or the Yankees pitching this year I don't think anybody expected uh, Aaron Judge to be hitting for both incredible power and average, right? Like to to not have had a huge long stints on on the IL. There just seems like a lot of things are just coming together for that team. So let's talk about Aaron Judge for a minute because he's going to be an All Star. He right. should be um, was an All Star last year, as you noted correctly. Right, and, right. And, and, um, what? What impact does it have on a team to have somebody who's having an all-star caliber season? Is is Ty France having a season that is impacting the Mariners in a positive way? And if not, um, then are these really just like individual accomplishments, which we spend a lot of time focusing on in fantasy because that's what matters to our team. It's not Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how much Aaron judge is helping the Yankees. It's how much Aaron judges is is helping me and my fantasy team. But like, is there a relationship there between teams that have uh, like outlier performers um, and teams that don't, or is it just like, okay, the Yankees happen to have a bunch of guys having outlier performances this year, and that's why they're so good? Or like, what's going on with the Blue Jays? Why why are they struggling more than they should be? Um, I don't know. It, it, maybe I'm just creating correlation where there is none. But uh, it, it it is interesting to me to think about the role of the individual in sports, right? Like, how much impact does a superstar have uh, in in the Premier League? How much does is the mm-hmm. impact of a superstar uh, when, when you're talking about like a quarterback to a football team or um, uh, a basketball team to have you know like two superstars? Um, baseball seems to be like you can be a standout individual player on a not so great team, Mike Trout, 
Um, but <laughs> is there any cor- right. <laughs> is there any correlation between these things? Like I don't know. It, it, I, I guess that I just answered my own question that there can't be because Mike Trout's been awesome and the Angels haven't been. Um, but you, you say they ca- there can't. But I, I want I wanted to pull uh, the opposite of the All Star conversation with the Angels. Um, do, do you want to ex- like estimate for yourself how bad you know like the rest of his outfield has been for the last decade. I'm not looking it up myself, but I I imagine like, yeah, you can probably find in any given season, you know, two or three positions that have like a total accumulated war between all of the players who have played left field for them or whatever it is for that year. Second base, you know, won them an extra game compared to like a triple A player. And when we talk about war, you know, like that's, essentially what we're talking about the difference between playing Aaron judge and playing whoever quad a player essentially is yeah. a handful of wins already so far this season, probably about three. Right. Um, and then you do that for Anthony Rizzo at first where he's been really good. You do that for second where Glaber Torres has like become a better Torres. Of, of himself. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you run all the way, all the way down and you do it for the pitching staff again. And, you get to a place where you would expect them to add a certain number of runs. And here they are with a plus 129 run differential uh, through 61 games. They're outscoring their opponents by about two runs a game. Um, that's that's going to win you some games. Right. Um, they're also doing some mildly unsustainable things. Uh, their record in one run games is 12 and four. That does not typically hold up, but better teams do win a lot of one run one games especially if a good bullpen um and right. they have a role this chapman aside i say jokingly a really <laughs> good bullpen right so like if you actually go down the standings of, like how are teams doing in one run games yes teams with better records obviously have stolen some wins that way but if you look at those teams like toronto has a good bullpen they're 15 and 8 in run, one run games um houston has gotten a lot out of their bullpen i don't know that all of them mm. are concretely good but they're 12 and five. They also also got good hitters. It, it helps, I suppose. Right. Um, Milwaukee bullpen ha- is good. They're 13 and seven in those games. And then you look at the teams that have like lost a lot of the games in the situations. Um, interestingly, the Dodgers have a losing record. Their bullpen has, I guess, not been the best version of itself. You know, the Cubs have had 14 losses in one run game so far this year. Uh, the Marlins are eight and 16. You know, it, those things manifest from certain places as well. So like we can model all of this and, and war comes from something. Right. But I, I want to say that I did not see the pitching side of things coming, but yeah, I think it's the biggest to- surprise. Right. And, and I, I think that's where I had to say, no, I did not see that coming and I'm not taking any credit there, but I you know, wonder, sorry, I totally cut you off. I apologize. I, yeah. I and this is, this is, um, uh, kind of a, a question that's well beyond my ability to even know how to go about looking up, but like, is there a way to take like the projections of players from the beginning of the year and then map out whether they've where they stand like versus those projections to see who's outperformed it by a certain factor? Like, I don't know what you would call that, right? Like the right, right, right. The, um, because I feel like the Yankees would have a lot of players on that team that either the industry was just wrong about for various reasons or the players have to their credit really stepped up and figured out how to 
um, make it work. And I wonder what, like, if you, if you were to compare that to like the teams that are doing well, I bet there would be a correlation, right? Right, right. The teams that we're most wrong about are definitely like, you know, in a good way are obviously going to be the teams that have found the way their way, like to the best record so far. I would love to see someone write that who has all that data neatly lined up already. Um, you know, I'm sure Dan Sumborski's like zips model is sitting somewhere in a way that he could pull that really easily. And a handful of other people probably know how to pull that faster than I would, but like surely that exists. It just doesn't seem easy to do quickly. Yeah. Um, the thought that I had uh, that I think is the one mild thing about the Yankees I want to take credit for is that I did say that they have more players than they knew what to do with going into the season. And I said, that's probably a good thing, right? People are going to get hurt and you just want people to be able to rest and be the best versions of themselves. They've had a lot of people who have had an opportunity to rest and as a result, mostly been the best versions of themselves. I, Aaron just the opposite of that <laughs> to a degree though, because he is like playing center field when he is not a center fielder. Cause they just don't have a good one on their roster. And you know, I imagine that has to be more tiring in some cases and he's still doing all this, but yeah. you know, as, as a team that has collected people who hit the ball, way beyond what you would need um to get it into the short porch there they have not lost their offense when the offense has just gone hiding and their pitchers somehow have not been victim them at it's it's very surprising in the pitching direction i think it's less surprising in the hitting direction but it definitely the is health. Kind of like <laughs> i think the health of the hitters right. is, the is the is, more surprising sure. i think yeah, glaber yeah. torres is a huge shock um coming back gangbusters but I, I think you're right i think the biggest surprise is that they've put a rotation together that's been incredibly effective that um people just didn't anticipate being the case yeah they're the only um, team in baseball so far that has yet to give up 200 runs they're sitting at 180 runs allowed um as this uh leaderboard sits live for me uh the next i think is low 200 so i'm going to scan it really quickly uh but yeah 215 203 for the dodgers okay so they've given up 23 fewer runs than the next best team. That's a significant help. And I'm sure another team has hit. Th- yeah. There are a couple of teams who have scored 300 runs like the entire NL East somehow. Um, <laughs> I'm sure the sure the nationals are helping with that. Um, but yeah, it, it is surprising. And when you talk about like teams having all-stars, like it helps when you have a lot of guys who aren't going to be all-stars um, that are, that are not a hole anywhere just as much as i'm sure it helps every run matters every bit of war matters every strikeout matters right yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah i'm sure it's it just can't the- hurt to have the like the shine and like the belief and that you know it has to feel good for your team to have an Aaron judge yeah right? like i feel like the idea of taking <clears throat> where we expected every player to be preseason and setting that as their 100 and then calculating how much better mm, okay. or worse they've been than that. Like you're going to see a lot of guys probably at, with good significant numbers above that, like one thirties and one forties uh, that are collected in pockets of these teams that are outperforming. And you're going to see neg- a lot of negative numbers like Bichette's been, been really, really difficult to <laughs> get anything then, out of. Yeah, so yeah. it's, I don't know. It's, uh, that's why we play the games. Um, one final question, one final thought here. Do, is Aaron Judge going to participate in the home run derby? Do you think? Um, I always want everyone to be in the home run derby. So, um, I I know nothing other than that Pete Alonso probably will. Um, 
and that, yeah, like, I don't think yeah, you'd have to keep him from being in it. He'll crash it if he's not invited. Uh, but the home run derby is better off for having Pete Alonso in it. Um, I just remember uh, that year that that uh, Judge. There was so much hype around him, and what a show he put on, and hitting those monster bombs is just amazing. But he he was not interested last year, correct? Am I remembering that right? I or he, don't. Maybe he was a little banged remember. up. I I think I I remember so many of the other storylines, but I guess the fact that Judge is conspicuously absent in my memory probably says he was not participating. I'm sure. I'm sure, we uh, could Yankee, do that. Yankee fan will remind us. Um, all right. Well, it was good to be back, Alexander. Thank you for taking such good care of the pod in my absence. And uh, if you could go ahead and remind the people where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at dugout study hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.